Hey, it's David Cherry and welcome to the show. This podcast helps you stay in tune with the new energy around community and brand building, sharing conversations with some of my friends and my favorite online founders and creators about how they built a brand and community around what they do. And as always, if you want to reach out, just look me up in the show notes, check out the guest links. Thanks for tuning in. All right. Today I have on the show Kaylee Moore. Kaylee, uh, very happy to chat with you. I feel like we semi know each other, maybe from Twitter, maybe from the internet. Um, it's funny how that kind of is the case these days, but glad to, yeah, glad to finally connect with you. Yeah. I feel like it's funny. I feel like most of my friendships now are like internet friendships. So um, yeah, this is really fun and I'm, I'm excited to chat with you. And you kind of told me before we started chatting here that you have some really interesting things you want to cover. So I'm excited to get into it. Yeah. Burning, burning questions. That's the fun part about having a podcast is I really try to just make it like, what are the things that I'm, you know, most, I guess, either struggling with or really curious about. And so hopefully that selfish, the selfish questions shine through and there's other people out there who are facing the same problems. Now you've had like a really, what I, you know, see at least from the outside prolific freelance career, which I think is is rare. And through that, you've led this community through the creative class of people who want to become freelancers. So before we get into discussing the community uh, kind of aspects of, of what you do, I'm curious if there was a, a time when you first started freelancing that felt like your big break. Like, was there any moment where you felt like you went from being nervous and just totally unsure to confident or you know a client went through and, and yeah what did that look like for you and, and maybe talk about what you do as a freelancer as well yeah so i started freelancing full-time in 2013 so it's been about seven years now and um it's kind of evolved over the years what i do and what i focus on and, and where i specialize but uh those first couple years were I mean, they were profitable. I was making more than I was at my full-time job, but I was like basically running around like a chicken with its head cut off. I really didn't know what I was doing. I would take any job that came my way. If it was a writing project, I would essentially say yes. Um, and so after I took the creative class, I was actually a student of that, which is the course for freelancers by Paul Jarvis that I, I co-teach now. Um, I started to specialize and I, I picked a niche. So I focus on e-commerce platforms. So like Big commerce, Shopify, those types of platforms, and then the software that integrates with them. And I really just kind of fell into that world. It's, it's kind of a funny story, which I could get into, but the short version, short version is that through Twitter, I fell into that world and um, referrals just kind of started snowballing from there. But it wasn't until that I picked that specialization that I really started to feel more confident and like I had direction and that I really knew what I was doing. And that's when I started earning more as well and was like, wow, there's a lot of opportunity here. So a couple of, of key things that kind of came together, definitely taking the creative class was a big one for me and really getting that direction and clarity on, on how to position myself as a subject matter expert and to really specialize. And so I don't know that I've ever truly felt like I've made it. I definitely feel a hundred times more confident now today than I did when I started, but it's been through a lot of trial and error and a lot of just like learning things the hard way and asking a lot of questions too. Yeah. Did you, did you have a passion for e-commerce in that space? Like, I think a lot of people sort of maybe get this feeling of, you know, I should look at the areas where I'm passionate about. I know obviously e-commerce has been growing so much 
it's also attractive from, from like a business perspective. Were you passionate about the space or did it sort of just evolve and maybe your passion grew? You know, I wouldn't necessarily call it passion. It was definitely an interest because I had an e-commerce store of my own that I was running. And, you know, I had some hands-on experience that I could pull from when I sat down to write those types of things. So again, that's, that's one of the ways I kind of fell into that world. It's just, I had some context of, you know, being an e-commerce store owner myself that I could pull from. And, you know, I was 19 in college when I started that business. It wasn't any huge operation or anything like that, but it was enough to get me started. And so um, I always kind of had the interest in running my own business. And so being able to parlay that into educating others and kind of writing about the subject that I learned about firsthand was really powerful. And so anytime I, I work with a freelancer, freelancer or freelance writer now who's like, oh, I don't know how to find direction with what I'm doing. I'm like, well, what do you already know? You know, what's your past experience? What are your past jobs? Like, what do you pick up a book to read about? Um, so I, I kind of shy away from the word passion just because it, that's kind of one of those words that, that I feel like can be tricky because sometimes maybe you're passionate about something that doesn't make a lot of money, right? I think it has to be interest-based, but also like very realistic and sustainable too from a business perspective. So again, that was something I had to learn the hard way. Yeah. If it's not sustainable, you'll just burn out and the passion kind of starts to deaden a little bit because yeah. it's, it's not working and right. You can kind of kill your passions. I think if you, if you bring them into a space that's maybe not sustainable, at, like as a business. So what I find really interesting that you said earlier that we kind of glanced over was you said, I was making more money than at my full-time job freelancing, even after you jumped in. Um, I'm just curious, like, a lot of people, when they make that leap, it just feels super scary, right? And it feels like you're jumping without a net. Did you have some income coming in from freelancing on the side while you were working? Or yeah. did you kind of make the switch? Yeah, I, I have to laugh a little bit at this question because <laughs> full transparency, I was working at a nonprofit and not making very much. So the <laughs> bar was pretty low. Still, still better than before though. That's pretty yes, good. Yes, yes. Yeah, right. Yes. So I, I can't discredit that. That's true. Um, but yes, I had started freelancing on the side. I had some, some spare time and, you know, I had run the e-commerce business on the side. I was doing both at the same time there for a while, but, um, really liked, uh, the writing work that I was doing and wanted to lean into that a little bit more. And so, yeah, I, I took it from, you know, working on nights and weekends to eventually I had two retainer clients who put me at the income level with their like monthly rate that they were paying me, it was th about the same that I was making at the nonprofit. So I was like, okay, if I leave this job, I'll give myself 18 months. I'll at least know that I'm going to make the same amount I would at full-time job. And I can only go up from here really. So I, I had some nice stability and security built into the business model when I made that switch. Um, but it, I was able to build off of that too. And having that kind of security and that foundational income through the re retainer work, um, was kind of mentally what made me feel good about making the switch. And I also have to say, I have a spouse who I could hop on his health insurance. So that was the other big concern is like, how am I going to address that issue? Because I know that that's a big question for a lot of people too. Yeah. And I think retainers, which is probably something that you teach in the creative class, as well as kind of booking out work in advance, I know is a big piece of it too. I think all those tactics probably make it a little bit easier to actually, to actually make that jump. And, you know, something else kind of came to mind as, as you're speaking, which is if you're actually interested or curious to explore the industry that you're copywriting about, I think probably just by that very fact, you'd be a better copywriter because my assumption, and I'd be curious to, you know, have you prove me 
wrong if this is incorrect, is part of the copywriting is probably knowing a little bit about what's in the zeitgeist and what people care about and kind of culturally, at least for that industry, what is, um, you know, most interesting to people and, and writing about that. Like I'm assuming when people come to you as a copywriter, these D2C companies, these, you know, e-commerce or SaaS businesses, they're probably not saying we know exactly everything that needs to be written about. Um, I, I imagine having some domain expertise helps you actually push the boundaries and, and attract people to their, uh, their site through content. Is that, is that correct? Oh, 100%. And, and the other side of that, too, is having a network of people who are smarter than me, essentially. So other experts that I can pull from for insights, for their thoughts, for quotes that I can then tie into the pieces that I'm writing. I think that that's extremely valuable and probably a big part of the reason I get hired um, because people, that's one of the things I talk about in kind of those early conversations is that I leverage that network um, into the pieces that I write. And so the, that's part of what they're paying for when they hire me. But like you said, I also have the context of, um, you know, writing about the industry for places like Forbes, Vogue Business, Adweek, and really understanding what's happening right now and kind of having a finger on the pulse, I guess, to use a little bit of marketer speak. Yeah. Um, but right. really, yeah, kind of understanding the trends and the news and what's happening and what people are talking about. And again, like Twitter is a huge place that I use for discovery and for networking also for, you know, building out that network that I have. So um, yeah, that's a big, big part of it. Right. Because what I find, and that's why I like conversations like this as well, is the more you have those discussions or are in those discussions, you generate new ideas. And it's probably, I imagine a lot of your writing ideas come from just catching up with somebody or, you know, diving down a rabbit hole, like you said on Twitter. When you, when you say you've got this network that you connect with for insights, is that more of just like discovery on Twitter and kind of, you know, yourself reading through stuff and then messaging people? Do you actually have some type of network that you turn to you know, via email and like a private, I don't know, WhatsApp group or something? Yeah. So there are a couple of private Slack groups that I'm part of that I, I use quite a bit with a lot of experts in there who are often willing to kind of chime in on different topics when I pose a question. Um, but I also keep a, like a running, a literal spreadsheet of people and what their name is, where they work, uh, what their expertise is. So when a particular article comes up, I know who to turn to and I will reach out to them directly through email or get on the phone with them, whatever's more convenient. But yeah, it is a little bit strategic and kind of keeping track of who knows what and who would be the best uh, to speak to a specific topic. But I will say, again, also Twitter has been a really great tool for this because you can search the people you follow by kind of what's in their bio, so what their expertise is. So sometimes that's the other shortcut I use. I just go to who am I following on Twitter that knows about X topic, and then we start a conversation that way. Yeah, you know, it's really cool to, to if when you have that list and you're probably reaching out, you know, to them for a quote or for some of their expertise or to connect with somebody, it sounds like you're also adding value when you reach out too. So, you know, that list isn't probably the Kaylee, like ask for help list. It's, it's somewhat of a, like, Hey, here's an opportunity. I feel like you're an expert. And I think that framing probably makes all the difference. It does. And it, I mean, it's great. And everybody loves getting their name in Forbes, right? <laughs> Positioned yeah. as an expert, like who doesn't want that? So there's definitely value in it for them. And it's, it's also good in that it keeps me top of mind with them too. So if there's somebody who needs a writer, they think, oh yeah, I, you should talk to Kate. She does this very specific thing, right? So it's a great way to um, like boost referrals, I guess, for the work that I do and, and to keep me circulating with, with those people that I reach out to. Yeah, you know, a lot of people 
they right now are kind of thinking about how do I be perceived as an expert? Like how do I brand myself? And I think what's really interesting about the approach that you're discussing is it's very much like communal and it's kind of like there are already networks that are experts in you know certain areas and maybe it's more about fi like figuring out where do I fit into this existing network and how do I add my new voice and my new perspective, but not like, you know, take, take on somebody else's piece of this puzzle. Um, yeah, I guess it's just interesting because I, I imagine a lot of people are trying to solve that themselves when really it's probably more of like a scene. And, you know, one question I guess I'd, I'd have if that's true or if you believe that's true is how do you identify um, one, either how to fit in, into a scene like that or how to add value initially or how to, how to be seen uh, by that group, I suppose. That's such a great question. And I, this is something my husband and I have been talking about so much lately because it is difficult to teach somebody like, how do you become an expert? Like, how do you get in with a particular crowd, right? Um, so the things that we kind of were just discussing were things like identifying the communities first. And it's not a, it's not a mass community. It's usually like a very specific niche community. So in my case, like the D2C community, that's a subset of the e-commerce world. Um, and like, who, who are the newsletters that people are going to and for information and like, who are the thought leaders who are sharing interesting um, things within this space and like, how can I engage with them on a regular basis and how can I hop onto the conversations that are already having and kind of chime in with maybe my unique perspective and like you said, add value to those, to those chats that are already happening in places like Slack groups or Facebook or Twitter, wherever it might be. So. Um, it takes a little bit of research, but I think the secret sauce is kind of finding that really niche community, finding the key players and participating. That's the big one that people miss out on is, you know, it's easy to lurk. It's easy to just kind of watch people have back and forth, but maybe you're too intimidated to chime in or you don't know what to say, or you just feel like it's safer to sit on the sidelines. I think a big part of immersing yourself and being active within these communities is chiming in and, and like raising your hand when you have something interesting to say or add. Yeah, I love it. Uh, it's definitely been kind of a recurring theme, which is like, this is going to sound really terrible as phrasing, but like exposing yourself, like being willing to like mm -hmm. put yourself out there in those communities. It is, I think, really scary at first because some of them might be, you know, people that you look up to or you really mm -hmm. respect their work and you kind of feel like, well, what do I have to add? So one thing I always kind of think is that you can take a little bit of like a ladder approach too, where, you know, you might not be able to jump into a specific scene and niche, but there's maybe like a subset of that that you can jump into that's a little bit smaller, a little bit more approachable. Um, and, you know, something else, because I, I run a Slack community called Jacuzzi Club, which is for brand builders and brand founders. And um, what I tend to see with like applications and the people we sort of let in or not, I think there's also a concept I've been thinking about around kind of like a proof of work. Um, which is a little bit of like a chicken and egg thing for people, I think, when they want to join these communities. But um, sometimes we'll see applicants come through and they've just built um, some crazy project or crazy like, you know, thing that they nerded out on just to make because they thought it was cool. And we get really excited, you know, as I guess brand founders and owners seeing that because it's not like they have to be, uh, you know, the owner of some huge company. Sometimes it's just they've made something really cool. Um, and it, even if it's really small, you know, so I think sometimes launching something yourself and, and that could be, you know, a podcast or it could be you're documenting some obscure thing on Instagram, but you've been doing it for like three years, you know. Um, so I think sometimes when people see that consistency or that you've really like dedicated yourself 
to the space, that's like another signal that communities tend to respond to well. Yeah. And I would say, you know, I was just talking to somebody the other day who, who did that exact thing. And that's how she started getting speaking gigs. She just built something that she thought was cool and shared it with people. And other people were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you made this thing. Like this was really hard to do and it's really amazing. And so she, like you said, it was like a proof of work thing. Like she, she built the thing and put it out there and people really started to take notice. Um, and I, th I think the other thing too, is that some people really get in their own heads about doing that type of thing. A, a great example from my own personal experience here is a couple of years ago when Casey Neistat, you know, the YouTuber was um, doing his daily vlogs. I, my husband and I had been watching them every single day and I was following him on Twitter and he had posed a question about titling um, his vlogs. And I just reached out and was like, hey, I'm a copywriter. I write headlines and titles all day long. I would love to help you. And he sent me his phone number and we started going back and forth like immediately. So sometimes it's really just a matter of like swinging for the fences and being like, I can help you. Here's how I know what I know. Like, let's work together. Let me kind of be of service to you. Um, so really having that like service mindedness and being bold enough to be like, hey, I know about this can be really, really powerful. Yeah, for sure. I, I think it's a great point. It's like the internet is fairly flat in that way. Like people's I guess inboxes or DMs are like literally just right there and probably yeah. most of the time they'll skip over, but sometimes, you know, they, uh, they might respond and, and you can start having a new connection that will pull you into a scene maybe that you weren't a yes. part of before. Um, so yeah, I, I totally get that. And, um, you know, with, with Jacuzzi Club, it was kind of fun. Have you seen Poolside FM? Yeah. Yeah. So Marty who started uh, Jacuzzi and Poolside FM, like that was just such a crazy project. <laughs> it was just so unique that like, that's actually how the Jacuzzi community really formed was Poolside was so out there and amazing that like basically a bunch of people who were just really excited about that type of thing were like, let's all hang out and like try and build projects like this that we just think are, are really unique and cool. So anyway, shout, shout out to Marty just for, yeah. It, it, it's like takes somebody sometimes to kind of stand up and and do that um, to instigate community and maybe that's a good kind of segue into you know just through a little bit of I guess observing here and there on Twitter I know that it it seems like you're putting more of an emphasis on helping other writers um, obviously you've got a lot of experience now and you can probably voice a lot of the problems that people are facing in ways that other people can't who don't have that experience and I think from what I can tell, it's, it sounds like you're trying to maybe build more resources and maybe coursing like courses or coaches or uh, sorry, coaching for um, those, those new copywriters. Is that like a new focus for you? Yeah. So I've had a newsletter where I've been writing about these kind of topics for three and a half years now. And I was, it's just kind of a place for me to teach what I know along the way and what I've learned. Um, because there's no real guidebook for freelancing, you know, there's no, they don't teach it in school. If you decide to lean into this career path, you really have to just kind of figure it out. And so when I was getting started, I always wished that there was this go-to person who I could just be like, tell me everything you know, <laughs> like, help me, how do I figure this out? And so through the newsletter, that's where I started doing that. And yes, now I have kind of leaned into it a little bit more. I've created some resources like templates, um, some eBooks, some like writing practice type things. And I am working on building a full course to really like brain dump. Here's everything I've learned along the way. Here's everything I would tell myself if I was starting over from day one. Um, but yeah, I, I have done some one-on-one -on -one coaching too. That's, that's something that's been really um, interesting and wonderful. Um, and working with people one-on-one -on -one has 
kind of shown me that there are so many questions that still need to be answered because they're just there's no information out there or there's too much information out there. It's kind of one end of the spectrum or the other. So just like I said, kind of trying to teach what I know and be that resource that I wish I had. Yeah. Coaching is great because you can get customized help. I think people really like underrate that is like, I think the creative class obviously is incredible and probably levels up just everybody who takes it, but also sometimes having that customized help where it's really about specifically where you are. I've always found that really valuable and had coaches in my life that have just been super helpful to me. Um, I, uh, I love that you've been doing like polls and stuff on Twitter and I can see you're kind of testing things out. What feels like a uh, creative or professional risk that you're taking right now where you feel like for you, it's a little bit uncomfortable, but it's heading towards something that you want to do. Like what, what feels like it's at the edge right now for, for you? So right now I'm trying to strike a balance between working on my business and working in my business. So developing those courses and resources that are a little bit more passive income or kind of leaning into the one-on-one coaching, which again, it's not super scalable, but it's something that I really love. But then also doing my client work, the journalism work that I do, um, it's it's tough. It's a lot. Um, so I'm trying to figure out how to maintain doing both well. And um, it's tricky. I, I super it's hard. struggle with that right now too. It's That's like the hard. exact spot that I'm in. And yeah, recently I've been kind of thinking to myself, if I sort of go too far in one direction, which for me lately has been working with a bunch of different companies and like doing less of my own personal projects, I realize that I'm not really getting that same like fulfilling creative energy that I get when I work on my own stuff. And I kind of had this thought, I'm like, well, if I don't have that creative energy that comes from doing my own writing or working my own projects, I actually think in some ways I'm doing worse work for clients. Like I'm bringing less creative ideas or maybe I'm just like not as jazzed as I'd like to be. So it's kind of interesting as I've been thinking about my balance too, it's the same thing. It's like, I feel like I need some mix of both and they actually play off each other really well. But the toughest thing, and this is where I struggle too, is, um, saying no to, to paying work right now right? to forgo, you know, it for uh, potentially paying courses or eBooks or whatever. Um, but yeah, that, that's been a big focus for me this year. And then obviously it's been kind of a crazy year too. So it feels like there's like uncertainty and it's a little tough to dive into, but I totally feel like I don't think I, I have that balance myself. Right. And the whole, like, you know, the creative projects is a big question mark as far as, you know, making money goes, people might like it, they might buy it or they might, like totally glaze over it. So it is a little bit of a gamble um, and, and just hoping that the work that you've put together is, is valuable and like meaningful to people um, because also you're sacrificing your time and energy to build these things when you could be doing like much more profitable projects. So I don't know, it's a tricky balance. I don't have any good answers on that front. Yeah, is there a failure that you're like proud of? Like, is there something that you tried that just like didn't get the attention you thought, but you still felt like that was something I needed to give that a shot and you know, I'm happy with what I'm up to now, but that was like another step in, in my journey? I wouldn't call it a failure, but um, it's it definitely wasn't a moneymaker and it was a lot of work. Um, <laughs> but my friend Emma Samasco and I, who's also a freelance writer, we put on a retreat last year for a small group of female freelancers uh, down in Austin, Texas. And, um, you know, we had a ticket price and and we rented out a big, beautiful Airbnb and it was an amazing experience. I'm so glad we did it. 
Um, definitely was not something that we made money off of and tied up kind of a lot of time and energy resources putting together, but um, was really, really valuable for, for not just for us, but for everyone who came. So again, like I wouldn't call it a failure, but it definitely wasn't, I don't think something that really like moved my business forward. It was just kind of a thing that I'm proud of that we, that we made. So yeah. I would love to do one again, but right now it's just kind of a question mark with everything that's going on. Yeah. And I mean, maybe it's like the uh, e-commerce store that you opened when you were 19. You never know how that's going to feed into something that you do in the future. Yeah. So I think those things always come back around and, and I'm sure the people you connected with as well had an amazing experience. So yeah, that's something I, I think live events is something I, I definitely am missing as of, as of lately. Uh, so I want to jump into you kind of this last just bit about, you know, you, you talk some about getting referrals and um, we've, we've talked a little bit about uh, like your network. Who are people online that you're, that you're really excited about right now? Like, is there someone you followed recently or like whose work do you just super admire and you feel like is maybe uh, where you're heading next for, for a new, you know, community member of yours? Hmm. So I have super been paying attention to Emily Singer and Anna Angelic, who both write about kind of what's happening right now in the world of direct to consumer and retail and online sales. Both of them are really, really smart and have interesting backgrounds that make for like really colorful, insightful pieces when they sit down to write about what they're seeing. So I love that. Um, I also think Webb Smith is doing a really great job with the 2 p.m. newsletter and, and the whole kind of little universe he's building with that community. Um, who else? I, I mean, I'm always very attuned to like what Rachel Syme and Taylor Lawrence are writing about just because they're both great writers and like I learned so much from Taylor Lawrence about what's, what's new and what's like especially with people younger than me, I feel like it keeps me young. So <laughs> yeah. a little bit all over the place, but lots of great um, work being put out right now. That's awesome. Yeah. I have an interview for Jacuzzi Club with Emily Singer coming out Friday. Yes. So um, yeah, just found her work as well. And she's in, in the group now. And yeah, she's super interesting. I had her um, put together like a capsule collection of her interests, which could be like links or products or, you know, inspiration resources. So I'm excited excited to publish that. You know, this kind of, it's kind of made me think about the, the whole Substack thing that's happening. I'd be curious, I guess, to get your view on that. You've written for traditional publications like Forbes, you've got your own blog. Um, you know, what do you think about this, this growing culture of, I guess, the, the paid newsletters? Is that something you're ever interested in? Like, what do you, is there anything interesting, I guess, that comes to mind as we just look at that as a, as an area? Yeah, I definitely think it's, it's moving in that direction where, membership or paid access to really high quality content is going to become more of the norm. Like you said, with the Substack route, um, personally, I still, I use just like a traditional newsletter. I use ConvertKit and I, I don't have any sort of like paid access to it, but, um, I mean, it's not out of the question moving forward. It's, it's something I have thought about. I'm just not really sure where I stand on it, but as far as like traditional publishing, I think that, these really smart people who are kind of leveraging their own communities, their own platforms and building these followings um, through the inbox or, you know, a, a much more deliverable format, I think is, is really interesting. And so I'm, I'm curious as to how that will um, like what the ripple effect will be moving forward. I think that that could, could cause some major, major shifts within the industry and, and it's a little too soon to tell, I think, but 
I, I'm, I'm interested. I, I'm excited at this direction and, and where things are going. Yeah, totally. I mean, you can almost think that, I guess, as part of a content strategy, um, you know, brands and stuff like that are going to even maybe start looking into to having writers more on staff or something like that, you know, so maybe that's a big opportunity for copywriters everywhere is maybe there's also just an increased interest right now in copywriting. And then, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know if you distinguish, I guess, some of what that looks like with copywriting, if they're separate. I know, obviously, copywriting maybe has more of a focus on conversion. Um, but yeah, do you see a, st- a distinction between those two? Um, yeah, I think definitely copywriting, I think of more in like a traditional sales context, whereas like writing articles or newsletters is a little bit more open-ended. Um, so the objectives are just like to educate or to, to make a point, you know, you're not pitching something or selling something. So it is a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Well, it's been really great to chat with you and I appreciate you coming on to, to share your thoughts. Um, I know you've got probably some links that you want to share. Where, where can people find you online? And, you know, what can I add to the show notes for people to find you? Yeah, um, my website is kayleemore.com. And you can find the newsletter page there if you're curious about kind of the things that we've discussed in this conversation and, and the things that I send there. I also spend way too much time on Twitter. So my handle is at kayleeth. And my first name's a little tough to spell. So I'll be sure to make sure that's in the show notes. But yeah, I'm, awesome. I spend way too much time there as well. Okay, find her on Twitter. And yeah, I, I saw you've got your coaching program up on your site. So for aspiring copywriters, for sure, check that out. Well, Kaylee, it's been great to chat with you and I'm sure I will see you around the internet. Yeah, thank you so much. That is it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. And as always, if I can be of any help, feel free to reach out. My email is david, D-A-V-I-D, at death2stock.com d-e-a-t-h-t-o-s-t-o-c-k.com you can also find my personal site at davidsherry.me would love to chat with you if you found this valuable please uh, review subscribe that means a ton to me and it just gives me the good vibe to keep going so i'd really appreciate that as well and that's it we'll be back again soon